I feel like there's going to be continuous iteration of creating new tools and new ideas. I created Codeverter in a day, and a lot of other people are creating these tools in really small timeframes because it's pretty simple to use. And so I feel like this will continue to happen and experiments will continue to show up and people are just going to experiment more and more ambitious ideas. Hello and welcome to PodRocket, a web development podcast by LogRocket. LogRocket helps software teams improve user experience with session replay, error tracking, and product analytics. You can try it for free at LogRocket.com. I'm Noel, and today I'm talking to Thomas G. Lopez. Thomas is a front-end engineer at AppRite and confesses that he has way too many side projects. Recently, Guillermo Rauch of Vercel called one of those projects a glimpse of how AI will revolutionize code migration. So I'm excited to chat about that today as well. Welcome to the podcast, Thomas. Thank you, Noel. I'm really glad to be here. Before we get into any of these side projects, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into web development and what you're working on? So I'm a front-end developer. I'm currently based in Portugal, but my roots are in Switzerland and Brazil. I've always been interested in tech, like since an early age, but I only started programming when I was 16 years old. Before that, I only had like played with some W3 schools, examples and stuff like that. (laughs) When I was 16 years old, I figured I wanted to do something tech-related for college, and I started reading some Python books and started Uh, learning how to code in general. And I really liked it. That led me to doing some light freelance jobs and stuff like that until I eventually went to college to study computer science. In college, when uh, we started doing some group assignments, I noticed most of my colleagues and friends weren't too much on the front-end side of things. And so our assignments generally looked pretty bad, especially when we were doing like web apps or stuff like that. So I thought, hmm, maybe let me try it out. I always thought I wasn't going to like front-end, but I really got into it. Shortly after I started getting into front-end, I also got into an interview process for an internship. Quickly learned a JS framework. It was Vue, I think, at the time. Did some demo app for the interview. I got the role. And since then, I've been through some jobs as a front-end developer. I really, really got into it, mostly with React, a little bit of Vue, and I'm currently working with Svelte both on work and on personal projects, which is a dream come true. Yeah, so recently you got a lot of buzz around one of your tools called Codeverter, because Codeverter is kind of, it does what its namesake sounds like it does. But could you give us in your words what motivated you to create it and how it works? So as you said, yeah, Codeverter is a tool for converting code between different tech stacks, languages, frameworks, whatever. It actually mostly started out just because I was seeing a lot of people doing like AI side projects with OpenAI's API. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to see how it worked out. It was really hard to do. I just wanted to know how it works, how to create a web app with AI. And so I was trying to think about interesting ideas. And that's when I thought about code conversion. At first, I thought mostly between front-end frameworks, since that's mostly what I do. But let me just do code conversion in general. Just I wanted to see if I was able to build something with it. And pretty surprisingly, it was much easier than I thought it was. Like This isn't meant as a flex. It's just working with OpenAI's API and building a web app with it was 
pretty much hassle-free mostly. If we can peel back the curtain a little bit, is it primarily functioning by tweaking a prompt based on what the destination language is and saying OpenAI convert this code? Yeah, that is mostly it. Like Codeverter has a set of predefined options of predefined languages, but you can also input a custom language. So for custom languages, it is basically just saying, hey, convert this and then adding some syntax highlighting on top and stuff like that. But the actual conversion is just convert this for me with an edit prompt saying, hey, don't explain what this code does, just output the code in itself because I just want to show the output code. Mm -hmm. But for the predefined ones, I do have some fine tuning. Because sometimes the result wasn't desirable. Like I was getting some weird outputs here and there. And so I had to give it a little extra nudge just to make sure everything works fine. I also recently added the option to add custom parameters. For example, with Spelt, I say, hey, I want it to be TypeScript. Or I do not want it to be TypeScript. Stuff like that. Nice. Is there any like post-processing you do to the code at all? Or are you essentially just taking what the model gives you and spitting that out? There's almost no post-processing. The only one I do have is, for some reason, after some tweaks, the model was returning it kind of like a markdown format, meaning it had some backticks before and after the code. Mm -hmm. So I do remove those. But barring that, the only thing I actually do is add some syntax highlighting. But the actual text is without filters. Gotcha. You mentioned like code highlighting and stuff there. So I'm sure that there are some interesting front end considerations here as well. Can you tell us kind of what the stack is for the front end and what led you to that stack? So the whole stack is built with SvelteKit. I think I used Tailwind for this project. That's mostly it in terms of front end stuff, nothing too complicated. I didn't use a component library. For the syntax highlighter, I used something called Shiki. I think that's the name which is pretty fancy because it gets its list of available languages from VS Code and Teams as well. So initially I did have the idea to kind of allow you to choose your own VS Code team or something like that, but I just went up with one that I found was nice. And what this allowed me to do was, it was pretty easy to add syntax highlighting. I just get the output, get the language, and just pass that in as parameters. But sometimes it does fail, especially because of custom inputs. What if a language that I wrote, there's no support for it, or when entering a custom language, I'm not going to write like Svelte and then dash TS or something like that. I'm just going to write anything there. That may not get recognized by Shiki. So syntax highlighting is not guaranteed. But if there's an error, just show the text without syntax highlighting. Another consideration was formatting, code formatting. I was worried that I would have to use Prettier or something like that, but to my benefit, chat the OpenAI API generally returns the outputted code in a pretty good format. So I don't have to worry about that. Yeah, I've, I've kind of been doing this process to just manually like via prompts and via the API when I'm calling stuff. And I found that as well, like I've got old projects in JavaScript that I'm converting to TypeScript. I'm like, generate types for this big JSON blob. And it like works very well. And yeah, it usually uh, gives me pretty decent formatting out of the box or at least close enough where I can paste it into my editor and it like can be auto-corrected into the formats that I'm using. Cool. How about like hosting and kind of the auxiliary things that one has to consider for side projects? Do you have a typical hosting stack that you end up reaching for or does it depend on the project? 
No, no, actually, mostly I use Vercel for my projects. So it's really exciting that Guillermo Rauch talked about my project. But yeah, I mostly do use Vercel. I think it started uh, on a previous job. I already used it at work. I think it works pretty great out of the box. Mm. Normally, all my projects outside of work are small side projects, and it has always worked pretty great. It's pretty easy to get going. It works great with um, full stack frameworks, which is what I'm using, which since I'm using SvelteKit. It just works out of the box, mostly what I use. I've also used Heroku in the past. I've used a little bit of Netlify. I do want to try out SST, but the one I always go back to is Vercel for sure. Yeah, I guess for server-side component of this, I assume that there is at least a layer where like, you're taking your private API key and using that to make the request to the OpenAI APIs. Is that all pretty simple? Are you able to use like Vercel tools off the shelf for that? Exactly. So at first, actually, CodeVerter, I was using my own key. And then instead of just sending the request directly to OpenAI, I did have a layer of abstraction, which is I have an API route, basically a server route on SvelteKit. And so the client would send a request to my server route, which would then add some custom logic, put the API key in there, and then send it to OpenAI. Mm. That still happens. The only difference is... I'm no longer using my key because of billing issues. A lot of people used it and I had to change it. So now you have to input your own key. Mm. I think for a lot of these projects of this cloth, I feel like we're seeing a lot of these where it's like some prompt engineering on top of open and then we're just like kind of converting a user's request into it. But I feel like this is the problem is no one's totally cracked the like, these requests aren't free and we've got to figure out an elegant way to do billing. So it's like eh, you either input your own API key or you have to monetize it in some way. I mean, they're pretty cheap, especially with some of the model updates that have been coming out. But, you know, especially if the project has any level of success, it's still a lot more expensive than like a typical web request would be, right? One thing that I actually thought about, there's a Vercel employee, I forgot his name, but they did Room GPT and they also ran into the same issue. Like it got a lot of traffic, much more than Coldwater. And it wasn't feasible to just continue free usage. So at first, mm-hmm. I think you had to authenticate with Olaf, like Google Olaf or something like that. And then it would limit to free usage a day, which would already help a lot. And now I think it's paid. But I didn't want for my particular product to go through that hassle. It was mm-hmm. never the idea to make it a commercial product. It was just meant as an experiment. And so that's why I opted to just let the user set their own key. Interjecting quick here to remind you guys that LogRocket offers session replay, issue tracking, and product analytics to help you quickly surface and solve impactful issues affecting your user experience. With LogRocket, you can find and solve issues faster, improve conversion and adoption, and spend more time building a better product. I think that's a reasonable decision, especially like if your target market is like developers and tech savvy people that like are familiar with logging into a system and getting an API key to do things. It's probably a pretty easy choice. Given the traction that this project got, have you been thinking about this kind of tool for maybe larger projects for like more than one file at a time conversions? What do you think would need to happen for us to get there? And I guess, do you think that that is a thing that'll happen in the foreseeable future? I do think that's something that would happen. It's kind of something that I really dream about. It would be amazing. I think we're at early stages of these tools, not of ChatGPT and stuff like that, but the actual tools that come out of it. We see it a little bit with Copilot, which already changed developers' workflows quite a lot, in some ways more than others, but still having like a lot of improvements, especially now that GitHub announced Copilot X. 
I feel like there's going to be continuous iteration of creating new tools and new ideas like these. I created Codeverter in a day, and a lot of other people are creating these tools in really small timeframes because it's pretty simple to use when you have that API layer of abstraction. And so I feel like this will continue to happen and experiments will continue to show up and people are just going to experiment with more and more ambitious ideas such as project level conversions and helpers and stuff like that. I can envision not only code conversions, but stuff like I want to get functions and stuff from one file and make it a little bit more generic, separate it into helper files and stuff like that. I feel like that would be invaluable. I feel there's probably a technical limit currently. For example, if we're talking OpenAI, since that's what I used, there's the limit of tokens and the context and stuff like that. So that's something we would have to overcome. Also, it's pretty expensive to run these models and stuff like that, but I feel like we're going to get there. These are problems that are going to continue to be solved. At least that's what I hope for. In your testing, how frequent were code errors, logical errors in the output of conversion via the tool? I mean, it was frequent, but it depends on what. One thing that particularly happened was code migration sometimes between libraries, not languages. Mm. So like converting between Python to JavaScript, it's pretty simple. It's mostly syntax. But Svelte, React, and stuff like that, it can be more complicated. Sometimes we would just try and use React hooks inside Svelte, which obviously doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Or let's say you're using a Python library, such as Pandas, and then you want to convert that to TypeScript. How would you do that? Like The tool would uh, first try and find Pandas on, on TypeScript, which I think doesn't exist. And if it doesn't, it would need to know about it. So there weren't so many syntax errors. There was one or another one, but it was pretty easily solved. But there were more errors about, hmm, just doesn't fit here. Like this right. function can't be called here. This is not a function that can be imported here. This library doesn't exist here, stuff like that. That is more common. Yeah, like those kind of larger, like contextual problems, like understanding what's in the libraries that are available. And yeah, like how things can be imported and stuff. Yeah, I, I could see that being challenging. So the question that I was teeing up for there, if we ever get to a point where like we can do this kind of conversion pretty consistently bug-free, especially on large projects, do you think that also drastically changes just like what languages developers are using day-to-day -to, -day to write code? Because it feels like we've kind of shifted towards these like very developer-friendly, higher-level languages because they let us write high-level abstract code that lets us do more powerful things more quickly because we're not messing with the fiddly bits. Do you think that AI kind of of this form will continue that pattern to a point where we're not really writing as much code day-to-day -day, and instead we're like writing something, maybe it's prompts, maybe it's, it's still some kind of code-like syntax that then we can use an AI to come up with the actual instructions to send to the machine? Or do you think that that is pretty um, error-prone? That's a good question. To be honest, I haven't thought of like a high level like that, but it's interesting. I first thought of like something a little bit more, like at first what I think will happen is maybe with code conversions being a little bit simpler, we will be less fearful of adopting like a new technology or mm -hmm. something like that. Because worst case scenario, you can just convert it more or less, you know? So this can help adoption for like smaller frameworks or less known ones. But actually using like more prompts than code, maybe. I, I feel like 
we first need to see how a project level AI tool would work. Like, hey, create this project, add this library, do a set of files that do X and Y. We first need to see how that would work and how that would integrate and later on see that. I think it could work for maybe smaller projects or sometimes, I mean, we already see like no code tools mm -hmm. do some stuff pretty well, but when you need a little bit more customization, you normally need to just go over the code again. So I don't feel like it's going to be super abstract. I feel like there are going to be tools that help you get started more easily. Maybe you have less boilerplates to get started. I feel like that's what's going to happen, at least at first. I think it's hard for me to grasp too much increased abstraction. And I just feel like there's so much context baked into like, okay, I want to import this library to do syntax highlighting. Like to use an example you just used for the project itself. Some of those things seem hard to like articulate to a model for it to figure out how you actually want to do it. But again, maybe I'm being overly short-sighted here. Yeah, but there's also another question too. Is like programming languages are a way for us to communicate with computers. At what point is natural language easier to describe stuff like at a higher level yes yeah, sure if i say create a web page that has a counter and it outputs for me that's great but when i get into the finer details there comes a point where the ambiguity of natural language and stuff like that that natural language has and programming language does not starts to get messy right mm. just writing stuff in code is going to be more precise and I feel like you're going to start actually losing time if you're just using natural language to describe stuff. Yeah, I think particularly like in the design space, right? Like it's hard for me to imagine really tweaking and customizing like front end without some kind of declarative language of some kind that's like CSS or HTML. So yeah, I think I'm with you there. <laughs> with that in mind, do you view Codeverter, this project, as kind of like a stepping stone? And it's like, okay, well, that, that's probably done. It'll always be focused on one file conversion. Or is it something that you've been playing with more and seeing what you could add to it feature-wise to make it more robust? At first, I didn't even imagine that Codeverter would get the traction that it got. It was just my experiment. But since it did get some attraction and I did like working with it, I added some features to make it more usable. Like at first, I didn't have syntax highlighting, didn't have custom languages, didn't have custom options, stuff like that. But now that that's mostly done, like most of the features to make it actually, I'd say, usable, at this moment, I'm not like wanting to make it into like this big product. I feel like that would take a lot of time. It's a pretty big endeavor. It's not something that I particularly want to solve at this moment. It's just as I said, it started as an experiment. I'm really happy with it, but I want to keep it as an experiment. But at the same time, I'm really interested in seeing what other companies are doing, what other products are going to solve. I'm really excited to see what's in store for us, and I will still keep playing around with it, but mm -hmm. it's not something that I'm going to invest my time 100% in, especially since I feel like maybe it could be a waste of time on my part, not because it's not going to be useful, but I feel like GitHub is just going to come over and do something that's 10 times more, not polished, but has a lot of features that I alone just couldn't feasibly do or stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. We had a couple of questions come up as well, like from people who just scoured Twitter and look for some stuff. I think some of the interesting ones were about performance and even just like kind of code review more abstractly. And I've seen other projects crop up on Hacker News and stuff that are kind of like automating that first step of code review. Did you consider adding any of that here? Or do you feel that the output is already going to be pretty efficient, effective, healthy, clean code? I, um, I confess that I didn't think about that. 
that could be like a good process. But at the same time, you can see design-wise, it was meant to be like a pretty simple just conversion too. It's not supposed to have like a ChatGPT like dialogue with back and forth and stuff yeah. like that. Especially <laughs> because I feel like that would be a bit like, huh, why don't I just use ChatGPT without any of the limitations that are constraints I built around Clover? So I didn't think about that. But what I do feel like is as projects go on and on, that yeah, sure, there's going to be a moment where they review pull requests. I actually already saw two about reviewing pull requests. But let's say a code verter like to opens mm-hmm. up a pull request for code migration and then another two reviews our code, stuff like that. I feel like these codes and these tools will all work together in tandem in that way. Yeah. I think so too. I think we'll see a lot of people leveraging multiple projects that are in this space to optimize their workflows. Another question, which I thought was interesting, was somebody was asking about like older languages. They mentioned COBOL, but I'm curious, did you mess with like COBOL or Fortran or even like assembly, anything like that? Like, can you make this higher level? I did not, but I do think it would be super interesting. I need to try it out after this, but it is curious. I mean, like some older languages have some really different syntax, like instead of for loops, we have jumps and stuff like that. It'd be interesting to see. Mm-hmm. How they interact but one thing that probably would be simpler is i guess the older languages don't have as many libraries and overload of things that we do nowadays so while we were talking before that huh, converting libraries and stuff like that is kind of hard if you're just converting the language maybe that's simpler it's also not constantly updated so there's no like new syntax to review it's not like and out-of-date training model, mm-hmm. that stuff already exists. There's a lot of examples regarding it. So maybe it actually works. I would guess it works pretty well, I would say. Yeah, I wouldn't know why it wouldn't. Like assuming a sufficient amount of that data was pulled into the model, I would think it would perform just as well. And like you said, if not a better, because there are fewer externalities probably in a lot of that code. But I mean, who's to say that there's like also nuance and kind of weird abstractions. The reason that those languages are hard to write in, I think sometimes is they're like, I don't want to say like archaic because it feels overly negative, but we have to think more about what the machine is actually doing versus what the nice abstract code is declaring. But it'd be fun to play with for sure. I agree. I agree. Is there anything else that's kind of been on your radar, anything you're working on or excited about kind of coming up or in the near future that you wanted to mention? Yeah, sure. Besides like AI, one thing that I really liked about this is just actually communicating with other developers, like actually just getting to talk with other developers. And actually today I'm going to start work on a project that's basically porting over a pretty well-known open source library from React to Svelte. And I've got some other developers and people that all got really excited and also want to help out. And I feel like before this project and the reach it got, I wouldn't feel as comfortable just reaching out to people to help out or stuff like that. So that's something that's pretty exciting. There's also another project that uh, before I did code Twitter, which I also made public, which is felt radio menu, which is a little radio menu component based on Ronald Freiberg's work. Mm-hmm. I hope I pronounced that, uh, his name correctly. And I want to create an NPM package out of that too. Besides that, on the AI uh, side of things, I've just been seeing more and more projects pop up. I'm now currently working out stuff with Langchain and Docs, meaning basically, let's say you want to integrate a custom chat, but tailored to your own documentation, because sometimes it's a lesser known project or just like new documentation. 
I think ChatGPT's training data only goes to like 2021. Right. So if you want to add new stuff, you need to give that information. So I'm playing around with that a little bit. I was even thinking maybe doing like a tool for Svelte Hackathon, which basically grabs your Svelte Kit project or something like that and just added docs to it. No, not added docs, but added like a search to it. It's like docs. That would be pretty cool. I didn't even start doing that, but it was an idea that was on my mind. I feel like something like that would be pretty interesting. Maybe not even tailored to a specific framework like Svelte, just Hey, you have a website, you just input the website and it automatically gives you ChatGPT docs. That would be amazing. Nice, nice. If people want to get in touch, is Twitter what you kind of monitor the most closely? GitHub, what do you prefer? Uh, mostly I've been uh, using a lot of Twitter recently, but GitHub is also somewhere I'm pretty active, always pushing side projects there. Cool. Well, yeah, we'll get links to those in the show notes. Well, thank you so much for coming on and chatting with me, Thomas. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much, No, It's been a blast.